This is Coda Radio, episode 289, for December 18th, 2017. And welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and its related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, Digital Ocean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us like a warrior in a used car parking lot, it's our host, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike! Used car, but really new because I buy new cars. I don't buy used cars. (laughs) I didn't mean to characterize you as a used car buyer, although the value generally is a higher return on the used car, as you know, when you drive them. Oh, well, you've heard this before. Oh, interesting. I I have heard this. I I, I keep my cars, though, for at least seven years. Oh, really? You know, I'm I'm going that direction with my last couple of vehicles. I went through a a younger period of my life where. uh, I was really commuting a lot, and I felt like the problem to my commute not being great was my car. And so the solution, obviously, was to just buy more cars. Uh, turned out, not, not not the solution, Mr. Dominic. No, no I, I, I hate buying cars, because the second you take it off a lot, it's uh, there's 20% of your value right there in yeah, the toilet. But you did get a new car today, right? Is it like, as we're recording, is it today? Or... I did. I actually picked it up earlier today. Um, it was uh, – I, so I, I – it is not a Tesla. My name is not Marco. <laughs> you didn't get it the semi, a, huh? <laughs> yeah, no, it's a 2018 Chevy Malibu. Nice. Uh, very, you know, modest, yeah. regular car. Good commuter I see, car. I like cars, but the, the idea of paying more than like 20 grand for a car burns me. Yeah. Yeah, I – Boy, try buying an RV. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, well, those prices. I, I briefly looked into that, and the, oof, those prices ooh. are just yeah, yeah, too much. You know, there is much to get into today. I'm kind of surprised, actually. But before we get into like the actual like Coda Radio part of the show, is is there like uh, anything in the car that's like really kind of new and exciting? You know, because even like older cars, if you haven't had a car for a while, like like I remember the first time I got a vehicle that had Bluetooth built in. Boom, game changer for me. Yeah. You know. So, th- so, th- so again, this is a 2018, right? Okay. It yeah. comes complete with a touchscreen in the car. Oh, which how, how is that touchscreen? It doesn't seem dangerous at all. No. And, so, and Wi-Fi, which again, it doesn't seem dangerous at all. What? Like you get, like uh, you can get like a cellular service for the thing, or what? Like twenty dollar unlimited. Um, Hooey. My assumption is like if you want your kid to like watch Netflix while you drive, right? Yeah, or that yeah, passenger. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the thing that actually made me want to get a new car was mostly I was in up north a few weeks ago and I got a rental. And the rental had ye old Apple CarPlay. Oh, really? I've never tried CarPlay. I had never tried it either. I didn't think I would care for it. Uh, it turns out I actually really, really like it. Really? Is, is, it, uh, is it pretty responsive? Does it feel premature? I mean, if it was in any other platform other than a Chevy, it would feel like crap. <laughs> okay. But given the normal experience, because so you have to keep in mind too, my experience of using phones and cars up until this rental and now today was you plug in a auxiliary cable into the into the jack of your phone, right? Right. Yep. 
And in the land of dongles, you need a dongle to do that now. <laughs> so, like, you can't really control it. You can't change, like, skip skip parts of a podcast or, re, you know, quickly change. It, it's just a hassle. Yeah, I mean, you, end up looking at you gotta go for your phone, all. right? In fact, yeah. this is one of the compelling use cases for me with the watch, is I had to... I, um, short version my the bluetooth died in my vehicle it's funny enough so i ended up going back to the aux in jack and uh so i have to dig around for my phone all the time or use my watch i ended up just getting a bluetooth dongle and plugging it into my aux in jack because i was so sick of the problem yeah see that's terrible mm-hmm. I, the, the reality is like so so when i rented it was actually ford fusion that i rented oh yeah uh, okay. but uh, Go, and the ability to like you you know i'm driving in places I'm, i wasn't 100 familiar with to just like say hey not slipvana you know what i want to say you know what i want to say yeah hey um, hey lady in the machine hey, hey apple lady get me to blah 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 hey apple lady change the song hey apple lady play so and so linux oh, action news. So, so voice commands of course i didn't even think about the fact that voice commands right were and it's like really deep into like looking at bots and ai and, and and text interfaces and a little bit of voice i'm like this is where voice control makes the most sense yeah even though the touch interface is actually kind of crappy it's oh, it's not okay. about the touch ah. it's about the voice control ah now did, i know in some cars uh, I've been I've been it's been explained to me that in some cars when you activate the voice control it'll actually turn down the fans a little bit. Have you experienced that? Like, uh, I don't, no, I, it turns down the music. I don't. Oh, okay. I, I I literally just picked up the new car yeah. and it it was old and. So in your short amount of time, have you gotten to try like overcast playback or because that's what I'd be all about is podcasts. Yeah, overcast. Yeah, it's it one it makes overcast a much better podcast app compared to the others now oh, okay because hmm. i i really do think that's kind of a killer feature um spotify does work but it's definitely another thing pushing you towards hey apple music's the better better option if you're an apple phone user because if you say hey apple lady she automatically will do apple music um which which is weird because right? as a developer this proposes uh some interesting risk, but also some interesting opportunities. So, like, the opportunity mm-hmm. would be if I can have a useful app that might be useful to someone traveling, like a business traveler, and I can somehow get that interface to make sense in a, in a voice-controlled world, well, implementing CarPlay is now a huge one-up on, on top of my competition. Yeah. But if my app bumps heads with, you know, Apple's existing right. like choices, you want to be able to be part of that Hey Lady Tubes thing, right? Mm-hmm. You want to be... You don't want the default to be against you. Right. Yeah. Now, the other thing I would think is if you go to the time and trouble of, I forget, I'm sorry, I forget what they are, but they're essentially like Siri intents that you can create as an application developer. Um, So that way, you know, the user can invoke your application. Um, So I have things and I can use the things to do list instead of the built in phone one, which I find to be the things one to be more superior. It would. I would imagine these are the same. This is the same amount of work and the same kind of uh, invoke invoke commands that you would build for the, the maybe for the phone or CarPlay. So, say you went to all the trouble of doing this integration, even folks without CarPlay could probably still use these features. To just so eat, the hey right? the hey Apple lady stuff actually happens on your phone. Ah, so okay. there's two ways to activate. There's okay. a button on the steering wheel that you can hit, and it'll do "Hey Apple Lady," uh-huh. or or if you just say "Hey Apple Lady," it it does it. Right, because that thing's really the phone's the brains of that whole operation, there, isn't it? Car- right. Yeah. I, I've had some limited experience looking at CarPlay. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it is definitely a dumb sort of terminal situation, right? Where nothing is actually happening on the CarPlay device. Now, does this make you interested in trying out Android Auto anymore? So the, the GM vehicles actually do support both, right? So had I plugged in an Android phone that supported Android right, Auto, right. it would have just booted up Android you gotta Auto. you got to be thinking that, though. you got to be wondering, boy, if I could get my hands on a modern Android device, I, I should try this out. Well, I have a Nexus 5X, which, oh, okay. which has it. Okay. So it's – I might try it. Again, it's tough because I do actually carry an iPhone, right? I'm pretty locked into the iMessage lifestyle at this point. I bought so many sticker packs, Chris. Yeah, right. iMessage is is probably Apple's stickiest platform feature, I think. And it's it's particularly tricky when you move off of an iPhone and go to Android. Um, because yeah. it breaks text messages. Yes. So, uh, yeah, it's a very it's sticky also feature. Aggressive lock-in feature. Yeah, it's very aggressive. Well, congratulations, man. That's really cool. I, I know it's always like a hard decision um, when it comes time to buy a new vehicle. Which one's right? Uh, do you think you would take this thing all the way up to New York as a car trip, or are you still was that still sort of like a flight or train? That's actually my intention. So, what I'm probably going to do if I don't just drive it straight. Um, I'm probably there's something called the auto train. I'm, I'm sure. Oh yeah, we've talked about that. I, I I've actually told people here on the West Coast about that since you told me about that, and it blows their mind, Mike. <laughs> it blows people's it, mind yeah, over here. It ends up being fairly reasonable because like you get Wi-Fi on the train, and there's like a bar if you want to hang out, um, and you just go. You end up on the other side, north or south, right? And they there's your car. So can I ask you a clarifying detail about this thing? Do you, so you drive into the side of it. Is that? I mean, how does your car you, get on the train? Do you personally drive it onto the train, or do you go park it somewhere? Get out. No, you park it. They have uh, they have technicians or okay. whatever you call. Okay, them. not as cool, but also still pretty cool and more realistic. And the I way suppose. they do it is actually they it's, it's Docker. They load it in cont- containers <laughs> and they load the containers onto the train. So it's not like they're driving. No, they're. I see what you're. It's not like the old Spy Hunter game yeah. where like the truck opens at the yeah, back and right. you just drive have- it. And- yeah. <laughs> That'd be so yeah, awesome. No, and then you just casually, you know, open, you park it, you get out of your car, you can walk around and go up to the bar. I mean, just to me would be amazing. I feel like that's how we do it here on the West Coast if we could. <laughs> oh, it's actually. It's like 1950s sort of experience. It's funny, you know. Oh, to, and because it's not the airport, people are nice to you. So, so you think you might load the car up into this and then take that halfway or most of the way up there and then, you can, then you'll be able to putz around in your own vehicle once you get to your destination, basically. Yeah, so the auto train, I believe, gets out somewhere near D.C., so then I'd have to drive from there to uh, to New Jersey. Do you go through all the hassle of doing, like, all the tax tracking and stuff for the gas and all that when you – I mean, I, I know you probably – I do. You know, when I'm going – like, say, when I go to New York, I, I'm trying to keep track of the gas expense. It's a big enough trip, I will. Yeah. I mean, I don't – I don't track like every day. But New York it's is not. so expensive. Just that whole area, even Jersey's pretty expensive. That whole area. Well, I mean, it is it is like a 13 to 15 hour drive. Ooh. So you're talking probably, you know, gas in the 2 or 300 dollar range. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, for for that I would I would track it. I mean, tolls are actually pretty expensive. Um yeah. Yeah. And frequent. Well, um, yeah. congrats. And uh, I'll be curious to hear uh, if you have any more thoughts on the uh, CarPlay or, uh, or even Android Auto if you get a chance. I grabbed uh, something that you submitted and I said, let's just do this for feedback. Let's make this sort of like a special feedback segment. So you were looking, you're seeking for uh, people's opinions on uh, different integration, continuous integration strategies. And uh, you write, uh, I'm looking to, I'm looking into upgrading my CI setup and I'm having a hard time finding one solution that does the following. Rails, oops, <laughs> there goes my fork. Rails, Zamarian, Node, uh, Node and JavaScript in general, really, and iOS native. 
and Mike is seeking out recommendations. You know, there are a bunch of different hodgepodge solutions that you could put together. You know, you could kind of construct like... Yeah, that's what I'm going to end up looking at, but... Yeah, yeah. So, uh, coderadio.reddit.com. So here was the goal, right? One paid cloud solution... That I knew, you know, but iOS, there's always set up because God forbid someone installs an app and didn't go through Apple um, with like certificates and P12 certificates. But I was really hoping to like have one solution that we could integrate with Slack and Bitbucket Uh that things would just do a pull request, merge, run a build, deploy a build. Yeah, of course. (laughs) That sounds wonderful. (laughs) For, For like, and really our major platforms are like, even iOS native is not that important anymore for me because really more and enter- we're trying to be more enterprisey so like ios tends to mean xamarin now um but like rails is is probably our number one javascript is huge because of alice and because of you know in general everything runs javascript right in some form yep um and yeah and and i will say that like I, I see the way I separated this, and I, I think maybe that way I asked the question was stupid. It's not the Xamarin iOS native are two separate problems. <laughs> it's just okay. iOS is a problem. Yeah. Right. It doesn't matter what the tool chain is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you got a hard, sticky problem right there. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah Whoa. Jeez. Well, I have, I have – every now and then I have weird con- uh, camera things happening here in the studio. Oh. Like, so but, there's like yeah. – th- there's a few solutions I found, right? We, we had a – oh, what was it? A code ship years ago on the show. And they have a pretty good oh, solution, yeah, yeah. but they come out and say straight up, we don't do iOS, which is fantastic. Um, CircleCI does do iOS, mm. but it's a separate plan from their what they call their Linux plan, so you have to pay for it twice, which is not something I'm enthusiastic about doing. They have um, Microsoft has now their app, mobile app center or whatever they're calling it now, which actually looks awesome. As long as you're doing like React, Xamarin, or iOS or Android, <laughs> and it doesn't do Rails, like that actually looked like it. It's I think it's mobile app. I'll find it, but I think it's mobile app center. That was probably the best platform I'd seen, other than just like setting up a Jenkins server, setting up a Mac Mini as like a build bot for Xcode, and having kind of what you're suggesting, kind of like a hodgepodge, uh, roll your own solution. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, yeah. I'd like to see if the audience has any kind of uh, solutions that they've tried out. Then go to coderadio.reddit.com or hit up Mike on the Twitters as well. That would also work. We have um, we have just a few days left until the holidays, and so Mike and I are recording at a kind of a different hour, at a different time. So this, the show's moving around a lot. So go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar if you want to join us uh, live. Because if you look at the chat room right now, it's it's fairly dead right now because people don't know when the heck we're live. See? That's what happens there. Boom. But we would love to have you join us. I had a, I had just a couple of other things in the hoopla segment that I wanted to get to before we dive dive into a more topics. And this one, I wondered if if it came across your radar since you've been busy out there buying cars and whatnot. Microsoft, <clears throat> which is sort of relevant since we were just recently trying out Windows 10, Microsoft is releasing an official Open SSH client and server for Windows 10. So you'll be able to invoke it just from the command prompt or whatever terminal you install. They're open sourced. It's all it's all upstreamed. Um, the project hasn't integrated it yet, but they're working with the OpenSSH portable project. They're tracking the OpenSSH uh, CVS bugs, CVS repository, and um, they're introducing like decent uh, decent functionality on top of OpenSSH. Uh, reintroduction of autoconf support, PAM support, 
Uh, it has uh, some certain things removed that they felt they couldn't ship, but they've built new stuff to replace it. And you'll be able to uh, not only SSH into a Linux box from just the built-in SSH client, but you'll also, if you turn it on, be able to SSH into your Windows machine. And there's already an application in the chocolate repository, a, a, like a chocolatey extent install file, that gives users a prompt when they connect to the Windows box over SSH. So when you SSH into your Windows 10 machine, there's a little prompt you can install. They'll say, would you like the command prompt? Would you like PowerShell? Or would you like Bash? For Bash from Ubuntu or Bash from SUSE? And you choose which one you want, and then you SSH into that. And Microsoft is open sourcing the whole thing. And if you have the Fall Creators update already installed with, like, the beta option or whatever that mode is that it's turned on, you can actually go into the Add Remove Windows features and install it right now. It's available right now to those people. I think it's kind of a big deal. I think it's kind of a huge deal. In fact, <clears throat> I don't know why, but to me it almost feels like a bigger deal than Microsoft shipping the uh, Windows Linux subsystem for Windows because it's uh, – it's not just them adding a competitive feature that lets them run Linux apps or have a shell, but it is actually they're they're working on uh, they're, I mean they're working upstream on OpenSSH and integrating that into Windows 10. It's 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 a true real quality of life feature they're just adding. Not even like a we can do this competitive checkbox feature. You know what I'm saying? Like I feel like this is a big deal. Yeah, I feel like it's a pretty big deal too. And you know, I'm thinking of young developers here who are like just getting out of college or midway through college that want to play games, but like you know, because of like the way the ecosystem is right now, you need to use Unixy tools. Um, I, I actually think, especially people in like the Mac and Linux development world, are underestimating the kind of the long game here, for like the five to ten year play here for Windows 10, and. You know, because I, I know lots of people who really would be perfectly happy doing their work on Windows. And there are tons of t very technical people who do do their work on Windows. You might even Windows. say, you know, the majority, perhaps. Right, the vast majority. And people who, like, have to do things like Node.js, that's kind of a pain in the ass mm -hmm. on Windows or Ruby on Rails. Well, the more you add these types of solutions that mimic the, let's just say Unix, right, because it's Mac 2 uh, kind of environment – the less that person has to change. And I'm not sure that that's a bad thing. I mean, is it necessary to inconvenience these people? I mean, it's bad for Linux advocates, right? Everybody wants everybody to have a reason to switch to Linux. but Right, and it's bad for, like, super Mac fans, right, who, like, think that everybody should just use Mac and be happy. But I don't I – I guess I don't see the virtue in, like, getting some 18-year-old or 19-year-old developer and telling – or, you know, student developer and saying – all right, son, well, I know you like your Windows games or son or gal, right? But toss that Surface out the window. Here's a MacBook or here's a uh, Lenovo Yoga Pad or whatever they yeah. call it. Yeah, I, I really honestly feel like what Microsoft is attempting to do oh, sl slowly and um, very clever is to build the development platform that is for everything that's not iOS. If you're doing, yeah, if you, you, I, I know I made that point, but I just after seeing this, I think it, I think it, I, I really truly think this is what's playing out, and they're probably not done. This probably isn't the last thing they're going to do. And you missed, uh, uh, or maybe you didn't miss another one of my tweets regarding, you know, just the the ever increasing usage of Microsoft services by me, and I, I have this feeling that I'm not alone. Oh, I did see that you tweeted that you are deploying a lot more Azure these days, a lot more, a lot more Azure. Uh, a lot more just like Microsofty stuff, like C Sharp. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, F -sharp functions, right? In Azure Functions. 
Um, and it's some of that is just economics, but some of that's also once you know how to do something, it becomes a lot more convenient to just work in that service. Mm, yeah, you get more and more, even if it's just the management side of it, understanding the language. I just like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I have like a DigitalOcean Azure sort of dichotomy, and like AWS is basically, I'm just not using it. Right. Yeah, they're the they're they're definitely not hurting AWS, but no, there not. there is a widening there's a widening product category that they don't really address. I think maybe maybe a fair way to put it. it's like they're still doing tons of business. They're going to do better than ever, but it does feel like there is also a segment of the market that um, either AWS is too cost prohibitive, or the learning curve is is too extreme, or it, yeah, the cost. It's a big factor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's lots or just, you know, there's other things that but do also, it simpler. Microsoft, like if you haven't checked out Azure in a while, I, I urge you to take a look because they're making things that were once hard, pretty simple. And they have lots of like step-by-step tutorials and videos. And, you know, they're really saying we're the developer's friend. We can developers, 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 right? We can get you from point A to point B. Um, I'm not advocating that everybody should use it. I'm just saying that. If if I were like Amazon or I were, you know, like a real hardcore Linux John the Baptist kind of guy, I would be looking not at the people, you know, around mine and Chris's ages, but at the folks who are like 19, 20, 21 and seeing, well, other than the ones who are like really into Linux for maybe social reasons or whatever – are you seeing a lot of like forced adoption? Because let's be honest, right? The Mac, the Mac's upswing with developers. It's it, once the iPhone iOS SDK came out, it went way up because of forced adoption, right? And then you just get used to a platform and you work on it. But I, I honestly think this is going to definitely cut market share from Linux, or at least blunt the growth. Perhaps, although um, you know, the funny thing is, is if you're tra- talking in terms of Azure, a, a larger and larger degree of the servers being deployed on Azure are Linux, and huge portions of Azure itself run Linux. See, it's a different strategy, though, right? Microsoft isn't trying to sell Windows Server licenses; mm-hmm. they're trying to be the. De- they're trying to be like Super Telerik. I don't know if you're familiar with Telerik at all. Mm-mm. They're a big developers tools company, mostly focused on Microsoft developers. Mm. But their their basic shtick is we build developer tools and proprietary developer libraries, especially UIs that are hard to do in things like WPF. And you can pay us for those. So like you can pay them like fifty bucks and get a bunch of XAML uh, templates. Oh, okay. Which doesn't sound like a lot, but I know like large enterprises who have like forty, fifty thousand dollar annual Telerik contracts because they mm-hmm. just—if Telerik doesn't have a control for it, it's not a UI they can do. Huh? Yeah, I've, I, I've been in from I've been in similar situations, so that I do I do follow you there. I think too, you have to just sort of on that same vein, you have to consider there's so much momentum with the Windows platform on premises, and some of that is going to bleed into adoption of Azure or upgrading to Windows ten. Um, Although, although funny enough, it still doesn't necessarily spell doom and do, doom and gloom for Linux because a lot of these on-premises infrastructures end up being Hyper-V installations running Linux. So it, it there it's very impressively it seems like Microsoft has figured out how to make money at Linux winning. Well, I I think they've they've actually changed their entire model. Right, they're not a Windows company. They're a at least for this stuff, I know they have games and all kinds of other stuff, but they're 
focused on developer tools. And if that tool is Ubuntu, they are happy to charge you for that. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're yeah, super okay. happy. Okay. You know, 2017, just sort of as as sometimes happens when you're at the end of December, looking back at it, this was the year, really, I mean, we've, we've, they've been working this direction, but this was really the year where it felt like uh, Microsoft isn't, at least for me, it finally clicked that Microsoft isn't pranking us. They're not playing some long con to destroy Linux. I don't know if they love Linux, but they certainly are taking a completely different approach to open source and Linux. And if it wasn't obvious this year, then I, then you just can't see it. You're blind because it, wow, 2017 was the year that the Windows subsystem for Linux not only shipped, but um, we got like Ubuntu in the store where it was available to people that were not running special early adopter versions of Windows. Like it's yeah. available to the mainstream consumer running Windows 10 now. That's uh, that's pretty incredible. Now we have this and, you know, you're just looking at Azure, you can really see that they're yeah, you, they really don't care. If you want an Ubuntu solution, have added Haas. Here's a little button to deploy it. Doesn't even They don't even care which version of Ubuntu you want. You want to run something old and crappy? Go for it. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. They have an Azure CLI that runs on Bash. Wow. All right. Well, let's take a moment yeah. here and uh, let's talk about Linux Academy. Because if you want to go learn Azure or OpenStack or AWS or your own local Linux installation, Linux Academy is a great resource for that. They have the best courseware in all of those categories. And it's built by people that really know and understand Linux and educators and developers that came together to create the Linux Academy platform. Everything you need to learn and get hands-on experience in Linux. With self-paced, in-depth video courses, hands-on scenario-based labs that give you real experience, and humans that help you whenever you get stuck. Oh! Oh my goodness, it's a Linux Academy combo. You get six cloud servers or more that spin up on demand with the courseware, a scheduler that you can pick to work with your busy time frame, because, oh, I don't know, maybe it's the holidays. (laughs) Maybe you got a lot going on. They got a way for you to continue to get value out of Linux Academy. Or just jump into, like, single-threaded topics. 10, 15, 20 minutes, little nuggets of wisdom. And they have certifications to show that you've completed your work. They have training if you want to go get industry certs and learning paths that are specific content tracks that are really sort of focused on specific career tracks in the industry. Plus a bunch of study guides and audio for the lessons that you can download to and listen offline. iOS and Android apps, and they're adding new stuff all the time, constantly. And if you go out to any kind of community event, too, these days, you'll often see Linux Academy there. You can talk to them, ask them any questions. But even better, just get a seven-day free trial by going to linuxacademy.com slash coders. That's linuxacademy.com slash coders. Go see how the platform works. Go try out Azure stuff. And we talk about it more and more. Why not have more insight? linuxacademy.com slash coders and a big thank you to linux academy for sponsoring the coder radio program coder radio program linuxacademy.com slash coders okay one more thing mike before we uh <clears throat> get into a few other things we got a lot to get to still um i don't know if you saw this this week but it really goes along something you and i've talked a lot about recently and we finally have a lady tube company that has a path to revenue for people that are creating these essentially bots or whatever you want to call it for the tubes. Amazon is introducing paid subscriptions for Alexa, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Echo Skills. Now, uh, there are already a few in the market, and it's kind of interesting how they're stacking this thing. The, uh, the first time, the, the, like the first couple of um, skills that are doing this are like the really, really, really popular ones, which is, for example, the Double Jeopardy game. <clears throat> and they're doing a really interesting structure here. What it basically comes down to is if you have Amazon Prime, you can get a couple of bennies in the game for free. 
you get like maybe like a six extra questions a day in the Jeopardy game if you're an Amazon Prime member. And of course, a little a little skiff of that gets kicked back up to the developer or they will sell that those options from the skill directly at a dollar ninety nine per month if you don't have Prime. And then, of course, that goes, you know, most of that goes to the developer. And then you can add on more stuff like more question packs and uh, quizzes and there's other games and uh, besides the Jeopardy game that do this as well. So you can even if you're already subscribed with Amazon Prime or you're already paying for the six questions a day, uh, you can also then say, well, I'd also like to buy this one off three ninety nine pack of quizzes or facts or, or whatever it is. And then that gets associated to your Amazon account. All your echoes get that functionality. And now you've just paid four bucks to enhance a skill. So it's sort of like the in-app purchase model for skill functionality. What do you think? I mean, I'm, I'm glad that there seems to be a way to monetize Alexa skills. I still don't think this is the ultimate way chatbots and uh, voice-controlled bots, I mean, you can call them skills, but they're really bots, right, yeah. are going to be monetized. I sort of feel like it's going to be more of a Netflix-esque situation where you pay your subscription to, let's say, Botco. Botco gets you a bot, and that bot happens to be interfaceable on a number of platforms, including Alexa. Oh, right? boy, that mm-hmm. is a developer's dream. Mm-hmm. I could see why you'd want that because then – Right. That, well, that, that is the world I want. Because <laughs> then I control – I have all your – right? I control the account. I have your email, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, that's not good. That's not how they're going to let it work. No way. You no don't think way. so? No way. This is how it's going to be. How would they stop me? This is how it, unless they did an Apple and said your bot can't be here unless you use our payment system. Yeah, and you use our back-end infrastructure to run it or whatever it might be. You see the thing is here is uh they're no this is how they're, they're going to do this. Apple's going to HomePod functionality will be an in-app purchase. It's probably going to be the same thing for the Play Store one day. This is uh this is this is too um this kind of stuff like where the bot essentially where the code of the bot executes or the skill or whatever you want to call it. There's no way they're gonna let that run on a third party service because they want instant answers and they want to guarantee the delivery and integrate well, it in with the back end infrastructure. Not how they work. That's not how bots work. Right. They don't they don't execute on the device primarily. No, they right. Execute right. That's why the they're gonna want on it on server. that's why they're gonna want it on their cloud so they can guarantee a certain turnaround time. E- that sounds like a nightmare. So let's just say, <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I mean, let's take something like you have a to-do list chat. Let's call it skill because I think that's when they use like both Google and Amazon. I think Amazon. Well, no, Google calls it actions, but whatever. And you want to be on both the Google Home and the Alexa. That would mean you would have like two radically different versions of this. With two radic, I mean, it really would be like mobile. It would it would be exactly like mobile. That is exactly right. what I'm expecting. Yeah, isn't that awful? Just horrible. Uh, Ah, and so and you're saying the monetization you think would have to go through the platform. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And then, so of course, you're going to have like one platform that's going to be a little bit better return wise, and one platform that doesn't return much. And so a lot of people won't even bother probably making skills for that platform. It's going to be the mobile ecosystem just more locked down with less functionality. I don't know. I have some faith. I mean, I think the way bots have been going. The one thing Apple did was they solved the real problem with monetization in 2008, right? That was just a pain in the ass as a developer to sell software. Okay. Um, Especially on especially on pre-existing mobile platforms like BlackBerry. I hope you're right. I I hope I'm right too because 
that would be really bad. <laughs> so be really quick, before we move off of Apple, um, I saw you tweeting this week about the iMac Pro. The iMac Pro shipped, and uh, I saw you looking at it not once, but I bought I a car. Was cheaper. Yeah, right. But then I also saw a day later. You're like, the more I'm looking at that iMac Pro, the more I think I might actually be the Mac Pro devs have been waiting for. Sans upgradeability. It does seem to be, um, if you're getting into iOS development, or actually I shouldn't say that, if you're if you're well into iOS development and you've got a budget, it does seem like a pretty decent machine performance-wise. Very expensive, though. But I suppose for what you're getting with Xeon processors, lots of RAM, super fast, SSD, 5K screen, it's probably... probably so, right. yeah... Um, I think the iMac Pro is very pretty. Yeah, it looks like a pretty good. Looks like they did. It gives me hope for the Mac Pro. But unless you're doing development-wise hardcore AR or VR, which VR development on the Mac sort of doesn't exist, right? It's kind of a Windowsy thing right now. Um, I I don't I I don't I mean I. I want to be careful here, Chris, because you know there's a non-zero chance I will at some point pick one up. Mm-hmm. So I want to—I don't want to give you something that you can hit me with. You might and, even say a moderately high chance at some point. Yeah. <laughs> you might say, yeah, and, you know, in yeah. three or four months. Uh-huh. Uh, no developer needs this, right? Like the the MacBook Pro on my desk is more than sufficient for for I would say. Yeah, if you do, what if you do like a lot of builds, you know, you like trying something and oh, it's broken, so I got to try fixing this build. Oh, it's still broken. Yeah, I mean that's builds used to take like minutes, right? Now they take seconds. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, great. If you are a video encoder though, and you're doing a bunch of 4K or 5K, if you're doing a bunch of AR and VR, um, this thing's actually it's powerful, but it's it's. Yeah, this thing it's funny, it's at the upper it's at the, it's it's not like um it's not like a high range of what you need for that kind of workload. It's not it's not in the low range either. Somewhere right there in the middle. It's it's, it's in a very iMac-y position. It, it seems to suffer from like being an iMac, right? And I mean that in not like a joke way in that because you're an iMac you have certain thermal things you need to think about and a giant silver tower would have been a much more appropriate machine for yeah. the for AR and VR. And it would seem too that uh, the the thinness remains a high priority even for the iMac Pro. Uh, so I'm assuming that's why they opted not to put a RAM door, even though the RAM is uh, in slots. Yeah, there's, there's a, so it's a flawed machine, right? Like you're going to pay five grand and never be able to upgrade the RAM. So you just well, no, that means you're going to spend more than five grand because you have to, basically Apple forces you to just go all in. And if you want this to be a five year machine, you've really got to stack the thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it, it, I mean, I, I wouldn't begrudge any of our listeners. Cause I know some of them are like trying to do AR and that kind of thing, picking this up. I think that in that case, it probably makes sense. But, and I know, the Chris is going to say blasphemy. No, no. I, that you final Cut probably buy a Windows PC oh. and do your Air work. Yeah, a lot cheaper. Final Cut just did an update with uh, uh with full like VR shooting mode and yeah. editing mode, which sounds really interesting. Yeah, I mean, if you if you're just a Mac guy and that's what you're doing, that's fine. I mean, I will be honest. It certainly tempts me. If I didn't need a car, I might have thought about it, but. I, I couldn't honestly claim that for the work I do, I would actually be using like a, you know, a, a really a third of its power, right? I, I, I don't even think I'd get there. I think it would be because the the thing that usually is my bottleneck 
and if you're a developer and you're compiling a bunch of code, it's actually like disk IO, right? So especially if you have a big project with lots of different files, right? Either, you know, whatever, Java files, Objective-C files, whatever. It's, you know, your certainly your GPU was not your limiting factor. Um, your RAM probably wasn't, and your processor may, may be second, but it was almost almost certainly your your disk I/O, and that's especially true if you didn't have a full high end SSD. If you either have one of the older SSDs or the lower end SSDs, or a Fusion drive, which ninety percent of the time, if you're you're compiling code on a Fusion drive, uh, you're actually compiling it on the seventy two hundred RPM, or I think it's actually is it seventy two or fifty four hundred. God, I hope it's seventy two. Oh my I hope, god. Let's assume it's 7,200 RPM spinning disk. Yeah. So, again, if you're, like, sitting there with, like, an iMac from a few years ago compiling big Xcode projects and wondering why things are slow, there are much simpler things you can do and much more affordable things you can do you can buy than an iMac Pro. Uh, yeah, Having said yeah. that, it's dark or black, so that's better. It, well, and it has it has very, very fast disks. Um, 2.8 gigs read performance, 2.8 gigs a second. You well, the RAM is faster, right? It has better RAM than the equivalent yeah. Mac. And and 3.3 gig write performance, 3.3 gigs a second write performance. Uh-huh. You know, there's a cert- there are certain things that are very nice about this. I, I really appreciate the four uh, USB-C so Thunderbolt 3 ports on the back, but also keeping Ethernet, USB-A, SD card reader. Um, Apple hasn't done that on some of their more recent machines. So it's really nice to see that you get the full-fledged USB-C Thunderbolt 3 stuff. And if I know if I if I would bet at least I would bet those are maybe on two separate controllers, those two those two, but I'm not sure. Um, I would hope. And you know, it, it seems like it seems like it's a pretty great package overall if you're willing to spend the money. So I think, you know, it makes me really excited to see where they're going to go with the well, Mac well, Pro in the future. Yeah, and there are different use cases, right? Like I read a great blog post of a guy who's a data scientist, and a problem he had previously was it took too long to basically crunch all these numbers on his local machine. So he'd always have to throw a job off to the head of like a, a server farm, I guess, of whatever Linux servers that would you know do their calculations, right? Well, the Mac iMac Pro can just do that. It's just fast enough. Yeah. So that is good. But I I don't think like the audience of this show who tend to mostly be either like doing embedded development or mostly like web and mobile. I don't think anyone yeah. and like I said, if you want it, buy it, but you don't need it, right? <laughs> it's not yeah. you know. Now one other thing, just one note and then we'll move off. Uh is this may sound the warning hyperbole alarms, boom, 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 lead to the end of Hackintoshes. Um, it, who knows? We'll just have to wait and see, but everybody has, we've, we've speculated about the show. Everybody knows this thing ships with an A10 arm iPhone processor, basically. And they call it the T2 chip. Their second generation, um, the the first T1 was in the, the, was in the touch bar on the MacBook pros. Yeah, and this I, is, they, I, they say this integrates the hard the hard drive controller, cooling, audio controller, all that stuff, and provides new security and um, OS um, like o- OS detection if it's been tampered yeah. with or whatever. Which seems like basically killing the Hackintosh community, but I could be well, wrong. we are seeing like the slow march of Apple slowly but surely deciding they want to make their own specification again, right? Yeah, I mean. We went PowerPC to Intel, and now I think we're going to somehow end up sliding away from Intel. We're well, moving yeah. into some dual dual yeah. mode. Uh, but I, I, I did want to uh, – what did I want to say? If, if any of you listeners are actually running a Hackintosh and doing like serious like mobile development, I would love to know why. 
Because is the money you saved like worth the time of maintaining that? Mm. You know, it depends. You know, I've I've done them a lot in the past, and okay. one of the reasons I did it is simply because I could build a PC in a configuration that Apple just doesn't offer. You know, maybe I want six discs, um, and I want to be able to replace my GPU and put in PCI Express capture cards. Um, mm-hmm. Unless I want to buy a 2010 Mac Pro tower. Well, see, that, that. That's my whole problem, right? All of these problems would simply have been solved had they not, like, shot the Mac Pro in the back of the head. Yeah, yeah. That's what people yeah. in the industry have been saying for a long time. Yeah. yeah. So I would, I'd like to know that, too. Are people successfully running Hackintoshes? I have zero interest in doing it, but, I, you know, I haven't checked in on the scene for a very long time. So I'd be really curious to know what that scene looks like now. Can you run High Sierra? Because I, I bet you that's another problem, is even running. I bet High Sierra is a pain in the ass. I would imagine, like, every update screws up your Hackintosh. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to know how that's going these days. DigitalOcean.com. Go over to DigitalOcean and use our promo code CoderDigital after you create your account, DigitalOcean.com, and the promo code is CoderDigital. That gives you a $10 credit where you can spin up a machine on their infrastructure in less than 55 seconds. They call them droplets, and they rock. They're fast. Every single one of them, regardless of which price point you get or not, is SSD-based. SSD for days, guys. They got... 40 gigabit connections come into the hypervisors. They have Linux running the machines, KVM sitting on top of that. And then your choice, you can build a machine basically from the ground up. You choose the base distro, or you can deploy something that's an entire application stack ready to go. Want to try out GitHub? One-click deployment on DigitalOcean. And then they have block storage, which you can attach to your rig and give yourself more storage. Object storage, which is, they call it spaces, beautifully simple object storage, nice and reliable and scalable, very easy to work with. For all level of developers, they have team accounts if you're working in a group, monitoring and alerting where you can collect metrics, watch your performance, and load balancing as a service. We were just recently talking about continuous integration, too. I'd like to point you over to their community section. So go to DigitalOcean.com, create an account, apply our code, CoderDigital, and then go read this. They have setting up and using continuous integration on... Ubuntu 16.04 with a whole bunch of different tools, like a whole roundup, like a comparison of the different options you might want to look at uh, from, from all, you know, all, the basic, all the basic ones you've heard before from, and a couple of roll-your-own solutions. So it's pretty nice. And they have that out there. It's well-written. It's well-put-together. And it's available to the community, digitalocean.com. Go there, spin up a machine, check out their beautiful dashboard, their straightforward pricing, and that simple API that has tons of apps already built around it for you to take advantage of, or you could create one yourself. DigitalOcean.com, promo code CoderDigital, and a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio Program. And thanks to all you guys out there for using our promo code CoderDigital at DigitalOcean.com. Really brief follow-up story. Um, we were talking about the platform wars between Amazon and Google and Apple recently. Uh, Amazon relented. Amazon is going to start selling Apple TVs and Chromecasts in the very near future. So we may see this YouTube situation between uh, the Echoes and Google resolve. Amazon said last Thursday it'll begin selling the Apple TV and Google Chromecast devices. Two video streaming gadgets the e-commerce giant removed from its site two years ago when it launched its Fire TV products that competed with it. Um, Amazon spokesperson said, we can confirm we are assorting Apple TV and Chromecast right now. (laughs) And the product pages are going back up online. The uh, great platform war of 2017 may be coming to an end, Mike. Uh, And uh, it just took 
a couple of days to resolve this time. Really, if you think about it, I mean, this has really been brewing for two years, I suppose. So I shouldn't say a couple of days. But once it really broke into the public discussion, it really only took about a week for them to kind of get their shit together. And I didn't think Amazon would relent, to be honest with you. I, they sort of had the power position here to a degree. It is shocking that Lord Bezos, who, as you've informed <laughs> me, is going to destroy my bot empire of dreams, yeah, yeah. Is, uh, is backing down. Business? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess. I guess you got to get that juicy, juicy uh, Amazon Prime app on that Apple TV, huh? Yeah, boy. Oh, what a train wreck. Um, good for them, I suppose. You know, it's great to see the giants are getting along. Uh, us, uh, us civilians that were just caught in the crossfire here. I guess we can go about using your services and hardware that we've paid a ton of, mo- ton of, ton of money and our own private information towards. So thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. <laughs> this feels super okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got a little treat as our uh, as oh, our pick no. this week. You know it's coming. I had to. This is so great. Uh, this came from Sandalot in our uh, Coda Radio Discord server last week, and it's the Coda Radio Phenomenon song. I love it. We're super small, right? We're seven dudes. So everybody's doing like three jobs. Sure. And you, you get a phenomenon. 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 <laughs> so great. So thank you to Sandalot for being Yes, that. thank you, Sandalot. That was <laughs> fabulous. Thank you. <laughs> oh, very good. Very good. Well, Mr. Dominic, is there any other uh, topics of de jour that we need to touch on this week? I know you and no, I, I, mean, I, you and I may ahead. be assembling later this week to uh, record a, 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 a holiday episode or two, because I think Coda Radio lands... On Christmas and on New Year's, on yeah. On Christmas and New Year's, yeah. So we're gonna right. have to do that. Yeah. So you yeah. and I will uh, we'll get together again on Friday. Uh, bring uh, Friday. Yeah. Bring your gin and tonic or uh, whatever it might be, and uh, join us then. And uh, we'll have it live. So go to jupiterbroadcasting.com/slash/calendar for the live time for that. If you'd like to hang out with us on a Friday edition, and then that'll be our that'll be our last two shows of the year. Of course, they'll go out in the RSS feed and post it at the regular time. But those will be the last live shows of the year so we'd love to have you join us mr dominic is there anywhere you want to send the good people uh, throughout the week until uh, we join again uh just go to at on twitter and themadbotter.com brilliant sir well uh, congratulations again on the new car and i'll look forward to seeing you on friday and thank you everyone for tuning in this week's episode of the program and i'll look forward to seeing you on friday live perhaps also join our discord discord.me slash jupiter colony and they have a Coda Radio channel in there. We also have the Jupiter Dev channel where folks are working on Jupiter Broadcasting related coding projects. So if you want to get involved in a side project, it's a good place to get started. Again, that's discord.me slash Jupiter Colony. And then visit the subreddit. Mike's got his continuous integration feedback there, as well as a great spot to give feedback to the whole show, coderadio.reddit.com. And the last but not least, you can hit me up on Twitter at ChrisLAS. And the network is at Jupiter Signal. Okay, everybody, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of the Coda Radio program. And all things being equal, we'll see you right back here next week.